Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to episode five of this final season of the year. Oh, final season of the year, yes. Just be careful that you say year. <gasps> hey, I was going to ask you, are we going to do summer series this year? I think we are. Ah, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Summer series slash... Winter warm is cringe. Yes. That joke is not going anywhere, even though it's terrible. Very, very terrible. But yes, I plan to. But um, So usually we would do a summer series based on some of the more popular or controversial or you know, interesting Ooh. episodes of the year. But since we've gone to seasons, there are fewer episodes. So I think I'm going to go way back into the archives. Oh, nice. Mm. Best so ever. there'll be, yeah, four or five episodes over summer. And then we'll be back with some freshies in February. With some bespoke intros. Of course. It'll, it'll be like an upcycle episode. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's we're regenerating the pod. Well, speaking of regenerating, which leads us perfectly into today's guest, and that is returned friend of the show. Yes. Meg Berryman. Yes, it is. I had the most wonderful conversation with Meg um, back in season two about wellness. And she quite honestly put me on the path to thinking about care in the way that I ended up writing about it. So, you know, we talked back then about, you know, wellness as being this kind of self-indulgent industry that, and I say that, um, knowing that the idea of wellness in its truest form is incredibly powerful, but Mm -hmm. you know, wellness as packaged consumer products, wellness uh, slash self-care, which you, you, you talk about a lot in care. That's right. So, you know, that was sort of the seed that, Mm. that was planted, um, all those years ago that eventually became my book. Uh, and it was really nice to catch back up with Meg and see where she is. Um, and where is she? <laughs> she is lots of places. Yes. She is online. Mm-hmm. She is in her home. No, she is a podcast host of The Regenerative Life. And she's also a brilliant facilitator and creator of um, both in-person and online courses that dig into really what she and I talk about today, you know. Mm-hmm what regenerative living looks like away from the silo of just regenerative agriculture or, you know, uh, and it's this theme that I keep coming back to in this series of regeneration. So I'm going to include links to all of those places um, that you can find Meg and what she's up to in the podcast. But if you are looking for her right this very second, Mm -hmm. megberryman.com, Berryman, B-E-R-R-Y-M-A-N. Yeah. Meg, as you would expect, is M-E-G. And that's where you will find her podcast, her courses, and all of her wonderful offerings. But before you do that, yeah, I really want you to listen to this conversation yeah. because she and I and listen cons- to the conversation. concentrate on my voice. Yeah. <laughs> if you're driving, do not close your eyes. But if you're on the train, maybe you can close your eyes. We really talk about the tension between uh, micro and macro care and, mm. and regeneration and the relationship between those those two different sort of views of what care and regeneration can look like, which inevitably leads us to talk about, you know, time and exhaustion and burnout and guilt Hmm. and how to manage that tension and understand that spending time in regeneration of the self, you know, um, in living intentionally, in pouring our hearts into things is in and of itself important. 
because it fills us back up. You know, it makes us, um, you know, people who are better able to stand tall in the craziness of the world and as parents, as partners, as business owners, as whatever. Um, but it also does play a huge role in how we can then show up in our communities mm. in a very broad sense of the term community. And I just, this is a, a topic I guess I could really spend hours talking about. I'm fascinated by it. Because, you are. It's almost like a companion to care, this one. Yeah, uh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, and I think it really does feel like a full circle kind mm. of moment coming back to talk to Meg about it. Mm. Uh, and it's it's just really wonderful. How nice. It, thank you. It yeah. is nice. Now, just about care. Yes. And people can still order this through slowyourhome.com. That's yes. signed personalized copies of care. Now, it might be too late internationally for that, or maybe we're right up against that deadline. Yeah, I think that it's probably getting up to too late. If you leave, so backtrack, I am currently selling personalized signed copies of care and my other books on slowyourhome.com. Because the post has been the way it has over the last couple of years, getting them to anywhere internationally now might be a stretch. Um, so I can't guarantee that they will arrive in time for Christmas. Could do. Maybe it could. Not. Yeah. But if you're buying for a birthday or something like that, um, you can head to slowyourhome.com slash shop. And I have all three of my books there that you can opt to have personalized and signed. Uh, if you're in Australia, you've probably still got another couple, couple of weeks, weeks. Yeah. Uh, before it's cut off. Very good. All right. Well, we should we should get into this episode. We absolutely should. I really hope you enjoy it. Hey Meg, how are you? I'm well. I'm so happy to be back. Like really excited to be having this conversation. Me too. I was picturing where I was last time we spoke and I think we were in Canada. I was in like the basement bedroom of one of the places we stayed and it gave me such nostalgia. It was wonderful. Mm, I was thinking about that too and we just moved here. Um, and I hadn't long had a baby and and now I'm sitting in the exact same spot. <laughs> so I haven't moved geographically, but I feel like it's one of those things that allows you to reflect on all that's happened between now and then, right? Exactly. You know, and that's actually a really great point to start this conversation because it speaks to the power of small changes. Um, and that's something that I am enamored with and, you know, form the basis of care. But I also know it's something that you've done an enormous amount of work on over the last couple of years since we last spoke really is harnessing the power of small changes and having like faith that those small changes will add up to progress over time. Um, can you tell me, first of all, have I done any kind of service to the work that you're doing by describing it that way? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, you have um, for sure. And, and it's actually really interesting, Brooke, because I think that conversation that we had way back then was super catalytic in the work that I'm doing now. And I feel really like that was the first time that we'd had that conversation that I was like, oh, people are genuinely curious about a broader exploration of wellness mm -hmm. that takes into account our own individual experience and also overlays it with what's happening structurally and what's happening in our systems, you know, and that was the first time that I was actually like, oh, maybe 
if Brooke wants to know about it and her listeners want to know about it, maybe there's something in this um, where I can bring back in this whole skill set I have working in the social impact spaces for, you know, two decades into the personal development space. And so I just want to say thank you for that because that conversation was so um, beautiful and I think mutually catalytic, right? So I wanted to say thank you for that first. (laughs) Well, no, likewise, because I think that that was, again, the first time that I had solidified um, the disconnect that I was feeling between like all of the positive changes I wanted to see in the world and then the kind of crushing <laughs> exhaustion that I was feeling in myself. And it's like, well, I can't actually be of benefit in a broader sense if I am completely overwhelmed and burnt out. Um, so it was a real kind of shift in the way that I viewed the ideas of care, um, self-care, family care, community care, and then you know, the massive waves of change that that can push out into the world. Um, Yeah. So that's really cool that that felt like a moment for you because it absolutely did for me as well. Mm, So beautiful. And I think that, um, you know, to go back to your question about, about the the slow and the small, we just created um, a course this year called small is beautiful. And it was really exploring this concept that's really an antidote to the restlessness. I think many of us are feeling the agitation, also the burnout, um, just that existential angst, I think Mm -hmm. Sarah Wilson refers to it as. And it was really exploring that what if these ideas that bigger is best, that growth is linear, that um, consumption and extraction is necessary, like these things that we not only know in our brains, but we actually embody in our beingness, in our bodies. You know, we embody urgency, we embody hustle, we embody scarcity. And over time, collectively and individually, that embodiment starts to create systems and structures that mirror that, that mirror urgency, that mirror scarcity, that mirror hustle, that mirror exclusion, discrimination, right? And so for me, over the last few years, it's been this exploration of not what do I need to do to change the world, but really like, who do I need to be? Mm. And if I'm really truly going to want to seed regenerative ways then I cannot do that by hustling, by feeling like there's not enough, like I need to be the embodiment of it. And what happens when we start to unlearn the posture of hustle and of scarcity? And, you know, for those of us like you and me with so much privilege, there's no, we do not need to be in that posture 20, like 100% of the time. Of course, we oscillate in and out of it and that's human and that's normal. But can I find ways in my body to learn what enoughness feels like and to learn what sufficiency feels like and to learn what slow feels like Mm. as an embodied experience, not just a, a belief or a mindset kind of thing. And the flow and effect to that is that when we feel that there's regeneration happening on the internal realm, we are able to work with our nervous systems to come back into a state of receptivity and openness, which are incidentally also the states where we can collaborate, where we can be creative, where we can, you know, step away from the urgent things and look at a higher perspective. That's the posture I'm interested in Mm. adopting and teaching and learning more about because I believe that when we're in that, we naturally make better, more life-giving 
kinder decisions for both ourselves and each other. Does that kind of make sense? It makes perfect sense. Um, And I'm really curious about this idea of embodiment. So I know a lot of the work that you've been doing um, revolves around somatics. So like body work essentially and how we feel in our physical selves when you talk about feeling you know in the embodiment of hustle the embodiment of urgency what have you experienced that to feel like um, in your own experiences well I think it's it's quite fresh right because I think that to go back to your initial question about like we always want to make more progress than we have and one of the ways I teach is about stretching out timeframes and mm. timelines and like allowing ourselves some room to bloody breathe, you know, some room to breathe, to allow things to be created in their own organic time and how delicious that is as a process, right, to get all the nutrients out of process in general. Um, but for me, it's been quite recent that I've gone back into a state of, I know we've talked about our 2021s, into a state of, you um, really feeling contracted, really feeling cognitively probably the worst I've ever felt in terms of not able to execute things, not able to finish things, not able to even start things. I'm so overwhelmed, like a very thin, how it feels for me is a very thin tolerance for any additional stress Mm. because the experience in my body at least is one of accumulation of a hell of a lot of survival energy that's both individual and contextual that's accumulated um, and is now anything like goes on top of that it's just going to cause us to snap you know and that's the literal expression of it I think in relation to my children is I do I become you know a bit irritated a bit agitated um, hyper focused on fixing and solutions like these are the states that so many of us are trying to wellness or think our way out of and to me um, there's such massive collective um, regeneration that's possible when we can learn for us individually how to map and track those states and then Mm. how to change them as well. And it's also just developing like a language, I guess, of self-knowledge. You know, this is what it feels like when I am overwhelmed. Like I get numb. I get really disconnected from my emotions, which is scary because I am an emotional person. So when I find myself like not engaged, not caring, not feeling, um, that's a sure sign that there is way too much going on. And like, I need to step back. I need to dig deeper into where my energy is going where my thoughts are what I'm doing with my body am I moving am I eating you know foods that make me feel stronger or am I I eating things that taste delicious but you know make me feel rubbish um so it's kind of developing that 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 self-knowledge and that awareness um and and tapping back into it over time do you have a suggestion for someone who's listening who's like, okay, I I feel like maybe there's some sort of disconnect happening here with me. Um, I have no idea what it is though. How can we dig into that? Mm -hmm. If this might be one of the first times that we are really having this conversation with ourselves. Mm, I, I love that question because I think that there's this whole situation happening a lot right now in a lot of conversations. And also that I find myself in, particularly as someone that's been socialized as a woman, is that I am having the experience 
So my body is having the experience and the experience is one of sensation, of intensity or a response to sensation and intensity, which is what you spoke to about the like then the disconnect, right? Mm -hmm. My body's having this experience. I don't know why it's having this experience. I could hypothesize as to maybe it's a pandemic. Maybe, you know, earlier this year I had a miscarriage. Maybe it's my hormones. Maybe it's what I've eaten, right? I could go into that analytical place and hypothesize and that could create a little more heightened stress. Mm -hmm. Or I could do something really radical, which I think is the basis of your book and so much that you teach and share as well. And I know it's been your own journey. I could do something really radical and um, move toward myself, not away from myself in that analysis, right? Like I could say, I don't know why I'm feeling this way, but I am. And it's really intense and it's really hard. And I don't think I can hold it on my own. And maybe there's a legitimate reason for it. And maybe according to my own worldview, it doesn't seem legitimate. Like there's a hell of a lot of relativity going along in the grief stakes right now. Everyone is experiencing it, whether you think it should be there or not. Everyone is experiencing trauma in the body of some extent right now. So we could go down the route, which we've been taught, which is to say that sensation is um, discomfort. Discomfort means weakness. Weakness means I'm not a productive unit of society. We could go down that route. But I think we've just had enough of that. Like I feel like we've just done enough of the self-flagellation and shaming. Mm -hmm. And we know that coercing ourselves out of sensation and emotion isn't going to get us anywhere, right, either individually or collectively. Or we could adopt this radical care approach and be like, I don't know why it's here. I don't know what it is, but it's here. And I'm going to work on practices to be with it or I'm going to ask someone to hold it with me, alongside me. And that takes some work, but I think it's the very first step doing like a self-compassion meditation or a somatic self-compassion meditation even. You can just Google it on YouTube. Something that you start to take the step back toward the self rather than away from it. Because if you think about, again, like this micro and macro perspective, on the macro, we have a hell of a lot of systems and ways of being that are all about domination and having power over. And we actually begin to embody that within Mm. our own experience. So when we're experiencing suffering, instead of saying, oh, my gosh, this is so hard right now, we say you should be doing better. Why aren't you better? Right. And that radical self-compassion I truly believe like on the internal realm has the capacity to just regenerate so much and I know for me the most consistent thing over 10 years of this it's many burnouts many like cycles of going in and out of all the humanness it's been how quickly can I turn back toward myself it's such a powerful question and as you were speaking I just I couldn't help but thinking back to actually when I was writing care and I found myself in that position of like, it's, it's sticky, right. It's, and it's tricky to navigate, but during the first year of the pandemic where I was really struggling um, and again, could dig into why, but regardless of why I was um, and with that came this bucket load of guilt and, you know, I shouldn't be feeling like this. So many other people have got it so much worse than me. All of which is true, of course, you know, like it's important to keep perspective, but none of that removed the fact that I was going under um, 
rapidly, you know. So I ended up writing what I needed to hear, which was <laughs> turn back, practice compassion, practice kindness, recognize that wherever I am, no matter how much of a mess that I am, of a, you know, of a human at the moment, no matter how tenuous my grip on, <laughs> you know, well-being is, it's enough and it's okay. And what can I do now to show care? What can I do now to focus inward? And as you say, go into that micro state of developing support or being okay with where I landed. Um, And fascinatingly, that was the moment that everything shifted and that I was able to slip into my creativity again. I was able to finish my book and then I was able to see, you know, the ripples that that has created as a result. So it's, it's counterintuitive in the systems that we live in to turn inwards and to go small and to be kind rather than to, you know, muscle ourselves into productivity, but it's exactly what I needed. Um, and just kind of cemented my belief that small is beautiful and powerful. And, you know, if we don't spend that time allowing ourselves to be in that space, then we're really doing ourselves a disservice almost, um, in that we're robbing ourselves of the the collaboration and creativity and problem solving and you know all the things that we actually do need in the world that well, we're that in we moment. actually want like exactly deep down, like we actually deeply yearn for states of connectivity above everything else and yet we've oriented to over the past 200 years ourselves as predominantly productive beings here to work and here to um here to do And I think that what we're seeing now is as the pressure of capitalism starts to come down onto individual households who have become siloed and divided for a whole bunch of reasons, pandemic and otherwise, that pressure is coming down, but the supports that enable us to work at that capacity have been taken away. So childcare and school and um, communities of care and healthcare and like no one up here in my community can get access to a psychologist because they're all booked out, right? So the pressure is coming down to keep working and keep being productive, but the supports to do that in our society are no longer there. And so there's only one of two ways this goes. Either we turn on ourselves or we turn toward ourselves. Mm. And I truly think that there's a great reckoning coming where we're going to have to, just like you and I have done many, many times, reconstruct an identity away from ourselves as working productive beings and in the form of relationship and in the form of I live here in play space like local futures right I'm so passionate about that we need to reconstruct who we think we are because when we're in those periods of survival and challenge and the wheels are falling off And the only thing you're holding on to is the identity of a productive being. It's just like grand suffering, as you know. When we can be in those situations and instead say, well, I'm still this person's mum and I'm still this person's neighbour and I live in this street and down the street there's a fox den and over there there's toadstools and, like, we begin to see our place and belonging both within ourselves but also in community, that's regenerative and that's what's going to get us out of this mess, I'm sure of it. And I think the idea of belonging is so powerful, um, you know, and the way Brene Brown, dis- she discusses belonging as like a, it's the opposite of fitting in. You know, I think we do so much work to try and fit in, particularly, I know myself as I was younger, all I wanted to do was fit in, but I've actually found that a sense of peace, a sense of purpose, a sense of connection comes from belonging where you are 
an integral part of the fabric of a place or a group or a community and you are accepted as that part for who you are rather than for how you um you know how you show up Mm. so I think that belonging is incredibly powerful and it speaks to our vulnerabilities right like I find the idea of putting myself in that position terrifying still (laughs) Uh, because it's like you have to really show up and you know be unfiltered enough I guess to to kind of show your heart and that's scary so you know I think that there's but there's something so powerful in it and you can I can tell by you know the way I feel when I talk about it that there is something worth exploring there um, but that doesn't make it less terrifying um would you consider yourself an optimist yes yeah 100% yeah and when my optimism goes it's always a sign like you said when I start numbing like when my optimism goes always a sign like "Mm, I'm not not doing so well you know yeah I think that's such an important thing to be able to kind of tap into um the reason I ask you that I'd love to know like you know you're you're doing all of this work and you're helping so many people to um to really explore regeneration in a personal sense but also in the way that that can impact community and um you know the planet eventually what is your most optimistic best case scenario if we could you know have this conversation with an entire community what would you hope or believe that you would see as the changes um in that community if we all were able to regenerate you know and Mm. on all those levels i love that question i just get like my whole body just tingles and gets excited I think the first thing that I'd see if I was walking into a community for the first time um and just as a sidebar because I know we love sidebars in terms of what we're talking about before in terms of impact Mm. right like I have made exponentially more impact the more I've focused on myself which sounds so counterintuitive, but what so much of what I teach with embodied leaders is how it's not what you do, it's who you're being. And when you're being yourself, there's a hell of a lot of energy that is freed up to respond to life's opportunities coming your way, right? Like, and I think that it's why there's these little creative projects that I'm doing now that are giving me so much joy. And I'm not doing them for money. I'm not doing them like because of even validation I'm doing them because there's genuinely capacity and desire yeah to to seed these ways right and to be in conversation I get so much from it as well so if I walked into this community with that capacity and the first thing that I think that I'd be doing is really supporting that turning back to self because what happens when we start to acknowledge our humanness our humanity And we start to open up some space in the body to not be in survival and not be continually running away from our shamed past or the the wounds or whatever it is that we've built our life and identity around. We open up this space for conversation. And I genuinely believe so deeply in the power of conversation, in the power of not knowing and not being expert and not positioning ourselves in a hierarchy, but genuinely being curious and exploring passionately things that each of us are passionate about and expressing each of our unique functions within that community and a function is not a purpose and it's not a job it's a function like my function in the ecosystem is maybe to bring us back to hope Mm. I can express that function 
in a million different ways. It doesn't matter what course I create. It doesn't matter what podcast I go on. Like I'm always expressing that because it's my beingness. It's my mythos. It's my, what's the word? It's like my magic. And we've all got that. And when we used to live in small groups 200 years ago, everyone knew each other's magic and everyone would go to each other for their magic. And it wasn't something necessarily definable or tangible, but we had magic and we knew it and we felt belonging from that even though our magic was different Mm. so as we turn towards ourselves we're opening conversation with others and where there's conversation and collaboration and I think within that the skills and capacities to stay in the conversation which is a whole skill set that we're relearning some of us um, I think what you'd start to see is communities coming up with local solutions to local problems and my grandest hope is that as those conversations started webs and networks of reciprocity where we didn't all have to own a car and we didn't all have to own lemon trees and we didn't all have to own in horses you know like I've been kind of sharing horses all year it's been amazing like we would begin to create then local economies as well as local communities and local solutions. And in local economies, we can challenge the status quo and we can challenge and disrupt the idea that power needs to rest in the hands of a few. And over time, that rep- that repair and that regeneration happening on the individual and community fronts, really resulting from that first spark of you're lovable no matter what you think you are, like you're still lovable, you still belong here, then I see massive system transformation yeah. possible where we can orient to something much kinder, much more equitable, much more inclusive and where we can really embrace our humanity with all its seasons and cycles. Mm. You know? And I think what I, what I see as part of that is like a letting go of shame, right? Because yeah. I feel like we all carry shame around when, you know, even asking for help or relying on others or, but if that is built into the system in which we live, the community in which we are part of, no one is expected to have or do or be at all. No one. And, you know, the support is there for those times and those seasons of grief or loss or illness that we can each rely on Mm -hmm. um, and know that in turn people will rely on us. Like I think that there is something incredibly magical to use your word in that um but also scary yeah 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 I I find yeah I I can understand why that is such a fearful prospect for people because if we're existing in capitalist society and we're productive and we're making money and we're buying our stuff and we're owning it and we're keeping it and it's ours and no one else is allowed to have it we're a self-contained unit happily or not um you know and if we don't have it we can buy it but this idea of collective of collectivism is much more vulnerable going back to yeah. that idea of, you know, belonging. It's, it's a scary prospect, um, but incredibly worthwhile. And I mean, you can, I guess I said scary, but you can also just look at it as uncomfortable. And yeah. I feel like discomfort is an invitation to look a little deeper. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, when I, when folks come to me and they're like, so I want to, I want to do regeneration for me and my business, but I don't want to like, that's it, right? Like I don't want to come into a group and have a conversation. I don't want to. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Like that's fine. We can start there. And I think at a certain point in our own inner regeneration, there comes a point where the yearning for connection is so deep and the yearning for true 
nourishment is so deep that it is going to move us toward another Mm. and it'll be tentative at first and that's beautiful right because we're kind of these vulnerable beings like exposing our shame and being like actually you know being that person which classic me is always that person it's like guys anyone else think that this is just not working like does anyone see that this is just like a horrendous way to live and organize ourselves um you know that's really that's really tentative but I think the power of these conversations and the podcast and like all the work you do and so many other beings are doing is that we're literally rebuilding the skills Mm. to be in the conversation knowing our responses and reactions being able to tend to and meet those responses and reactions, being able to repair, which is so essential, being able to um, be to that vulnerable place of being like, I'm finding this really uncomfortable, you know, that's a skill set. And I think that that can be taught and it can be, but it can be only taught and kind of done together like in relationship and I always say you know if someone's like oh that seems a little uncomfortable it's like how uncomfortable are you right now you know and most of the time we're pretty uncomfortable right now (laughs) it's like a familiar discomfort versus a new discomfort that's all (laughs) Um, yeah well it's like to me it's like could we keep eating the junk food or could we move to a a richer diet nutrient dense diet and that's what connection is to me it's switching the fuel from dopamine little hits that we get from social media to this deep nourishment of being in community and like you said if I'm having a shitty week but you've got capacity incredible like we don't have to keep a score it's just a given that you would be there you know yeah exactly and I think that that is what doesn't compute for most of us like that not we're not scorekeeping we're not like well last week I did this for you and you know this week I'm doing it again that hardly seems fair like that's not what we're talking about but that is so counter to the way that in which we have sort of been many of us not all of us but many of us have sort of been raised with this like tit for tat kind of mentality um, which is dehumanizing because sometimes you don't need anything from people but you have plenty to give and that might last for a long time but then other times you have so much that you need and you rely on other people for support and I think it's that rewriting the social contract really of what it looks like to be in community with people and um, to show up for each other knowing full well that it is a reciprocal relationship but you can't define what that's going to look like at any given time and that just relies on us having these conversations you know I wrote in care about um about like how much I would love it if we would all adopt the idea of few the Tahitian idea of like I'm done I'm burnt out and I'm going away for a while and everyone accepts this like you know your boss will go okay you're few fine take a few days off see you when you feel better um I love that idea but I think on a like a grand scale in, you know, um, society wide at this point, it's probably not going to fly. But if you have these conversations with your friends, with your family, with, you know, close community members and just say, well, can you imagine if, or what would it look like if we had this sort of social contract and, you know, just start there with a gentle exploration of what it might look like to support each other, what you might ask for if you if you could ask for the support that you need, what would that look like? Um, and and just see what kind of bounces back at you from those conversations. I think that's where it starts. And again, mm. like you say, that's connection, right? That's the difference between dopamine and oxytocin. Um, and yeah, I think obviously I could 
dig into that for many hours, but um, I'm really <laughs> glad that you, you brought that up, you know, the difference between the dopamine hits, um, which aren't a negative thing, but they're also not what we're really craving. Um, we're really craving that sense of belonging and trust and connection with each other. Now, I made you a promise that, we, <laughs> that you have a call. <laughs> You have another call in a few minutes. I have so I many more things to say. I know, I know. I know. Let's just call this as like part two of many. Um, yeah. Meg, it's always really incredibly wonderful to talk to you. I, I walk away from our conversations feeling differently and thinking differently. And this was no exception. So um, thank you for, for everything that you're doing and for the work that you do and for the way in which you present it to us because it, I think it's a rare gift to speak so articulately about this, this stuff, um, but it, with such warmth and humanity at its core. So um, I'm really grateful to you. Thank you. I'm really grateful too. I feel like, you know, finding folks um, as we have done where you can grab hands and be like, let's, let's learn to be in chaos together, right? Like let's learn to, um, Let's turn to exist in chaos, but in network, right? Because that's what that's the pattern of life. And network is a pattern of life, but chaos is also life. And so it's these beautiful conversations that allow each of us as we're listening and you and me having them to like venture into that chaos and tolerate it for just a little bit more. Because obviously all the control is an illusion anyway, as we've learned over the last two years. So mm-hmm. I, that's how I feel coming out of it is just like a little bolder and a little more courageous, you know, to keep, to keep showing up. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Sorry. Final question. <laughs> um, <laughs> very quick. I promise it's a quick question. No, if you could sum it. up, um, and I think you probably already did, but you know, what the last two years have taught you about regeneration yourself, you know, um, that deep internal type of regeneration. Is there something that you will take away from the last two years um, that will inform your practice of regeneration in a more, in a broader sense moving forward? Yeah, I, I, I think just to come full circle back to where we started, that I was sitting in the same place and I'm looking out the window now and there's, you know, I don't know, a lot of new trees that we've planted and there's more veggie beds and there's an olive grove and there's animals everywhere. And I think the thing that I've learned the most about regeneration is that it just takes time. And I think everything takes time. Everything takes longer than we think it should. And Mm. we could either look at what we've been taught which is that instant gratification and immediacy is queen and we could challenge that or we could live a life continually feeling like time's running out and never really feeling present right and I think that for me challenging this idea that I know what time what time things take and I can I'm in control of it and I can govern how quickly the trees grow and what grows you know I was walking down the creek earlier and there's a little self-seeded broccoli plant come from our garden that a that a bird has taken down there and it's like you can't plan that shit like that just happens and am I willing to let go of the gripping of the timelines in order to justify to myself that I'm good and right and lovable or am I willing to let the magic come and am I willing to be 
slow enough to be open to the possibilities and the magic and the conversation and the self-seeded broccoli plants. And I know that that's the difference to me between a successful life and a good life. Mm. You know? And I'm not interested in a successful life. I'm interested in a good life. And I think that's, um, that's what I've learned over the last few years. A wonderful place to end, I think, as much as I want to hold on and keep going. Thank you, lovely Meg. You're welcome. Um, you take care. Too. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.